From the Selfish Path to Romance, download Chapter 1 for free at drkenner.com. And now you hate him. Yes, Walter. He's so mean to me. Every time I buy a dress or a pair of shoes, he yells his head off. He never lets me go anywhere. He keeps me shut up. He's always been mean to me. Even his life insurance all goes to that daughter of his. Nothing for you at all, huh? No, and nothing is just what I'm worth to him. So you lie awake in the dark and listen to him snore and get ideas? Walter, I don't want to kill him. I never did. Not even when he gets drunk and slaps my face. Now, is that true? I think when you're with a very abusive spouse, one that gets drunk, that slaps your face, that hits him, there are moments when you have thoughts of killing the person. And this is from Double Indemnity, and that was Fred McMurray, you heard. If you're in an abusive situation, you don't want to go that route. Even if you have a fleeting thought of wanting to kill the person, you need to get a divorce. You need out of that relationship. You need to discover your voice. Speak up. Get some help. Go to a hospital. Uh, Tell people. Go to a therapist. You need to get it out in the open, even if there will be a very rocky period after the abuse is exposed where he'll deny it. He'll say you're a liar. He'll find a few instances where you did lie and try to blemish you. You know, a lot will go on during that very rocky period, but you'll be liberating yourself, and it's your life and you want to treasure it enough to take to take action in that situation. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner and my show's The Rational Basis of Happiness. My number's toll-free 1-877-DRKENNER. You can call me with any questions that you'd ask a counselor or a therapist. Right before the break, I was talking about a woman who has the misfortune of working or having her birthday on the very same date as the death of a co-worker's son. And she wants to celebrate her birthday at work, and she also wants to counsel this woman. Um, And she doesn't know what to do. Now, she actually doesn't want to celebrate her birthday at work. Her co-workers say she's silly and that she should go ahead and and let them send her flowers and, you know, make a big to-do on her birthday, which the other woman will be in the office heaving and crying about over the loss of her son. So I talked about counseling. She said, what, what can I do to counsel her? And Adrian, I said, be true to yourself. If you want to befriend her, make sure you have built-in limitations because someone who's grieving and has a shoulder to lean on can lean on it too much and burn that shoulder. That's what therapists are for. Therapists are there because they know how to deal with profound grief and they know how to help the person move on and they know and this is their career. If you're a friend and you've got many other just if it's just a friend at work, uh, an acquaintance at work, not even a close friend, it may burden your life too much because you have other values. So be true to yourself and be honest with her. Regarding your birthday, I would say that if it were her 10th anniversary, of of this death of of her son, I would say go ahead and enjoy yourself. You know, by ten years later, she can still be grieving the loss, but it's really complicated grief. Um, if she's grieving it ten years later, she needs to get help, but that shouldn't prevent you from moving on with your life and enjoying your life, and even giving her a sampler of what life should be like. Uh, but since it's still so raw. I know what I would do in that situation. If I had a new friend in the office and she's a decent woman and I had been to her home for some candle parties and I saw probably saw pictures of her son at her home and I like her, I would go up to her and say, Judy, my birthday's coming up 
and I'm taking the liberty this year of celebrating it not on April 29th because I know that's when your son died. That is my birthday, unfortunately. Instead, I would like you to join me in, in celebrating it on May 2nd. I've spoken to the girls, and we're going to have some cake and ice cream. They'll be sending me flowers. If you prefer not to join me this year, I understand. So I would just pick a few days later. Do it after the grieving period. Um, and she may, she may say, you know what, I could use a pick-me-up. Um, I can't wait for your birthday, and thank you for doing this. Or she may say, you know what, I've been grieving, and my counsel says it would be good for me to be able to see that I could celebrate on that day, too, so I would like to be able to celebrate with you. Um, and then you, then that's your call. If she gives you an okay, then at least you've run it by her, and she's had the option. I think that's respectful. Here is another situation. Uh, see what you would do in this situation. You may have already been put in this situation. Hi, Dr. Kenner. My son, is Adam, is 16. His grandmother is dying his dad's mom. He doesn't want to see her in the hospital. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, he doesn't want to see her in the hospital, and he doesn't want to attend the funeral. He wants to remember his granny as she was. He has asked me if he can not go to the funeral. We don't know what to tell him. Part of me wants to shelter him. Part of me thinks that maybe there'll be regrets later if he does not get to say goodbye to her at the funeral. Your thoughts will be very helpful to us. Thank you, Marge. Marge, I look at this as an extremely personal decision, and that's what I would honor. I would honor your 16-year-old's wishes, Adam's wishes at this point. I think they're totally realistic. Um, you, you say that he may have regrets not having said goodbye to Grandma. If he wants, he can write her a card. If he doesn't want to see her in a, let's say that she's got all tubes in her and she just doesn't look like the alive grandma that he knew if she's going through hospice now or if she's at, at, um, at life's end. So if he wants to write her a card that you could give her or send her a little gift, that might be fine. That might be his way of gaining some closure because sometimes people want closure. Sometimes just having had a loving relationship with grandma is what counts. And it's the final few words that a person says to either dying grandma or to her dead body um, at the funeral where she has no capacity to, to hear. Sometimes people make a big deal about that, but sometimes that is not the meaningful issue here. The meaningful issue is that you uh, is that he had a good relationship with grandma, assuming that that's the case, an important relationship, and he's choosing how he wants to preserve his memories. Okay, what about the argument? Am I just sheltering him? Should he be exposed to this real-world event, to a funeral and the rest? I think you're not sheltering him. I think he's seen lots of corpses in his life. Anyone who's seen an action movie, James Bond, or who's been through Halloween has seen some gruesome images. And uh, so I think that kids are no longer sheltered at this point, especially since they have so much access to TV. If at another point in his life he wants to observe a loved one who has died, you know, at a funeral, or if he wants to observe a corpse, if he goes into medical school and he chooses to attend a funeral, you know, that's his option. Um, I would never force it. Now, what happens if you go to the funeral without your son, Adam? Grandma dies, you're at the funeral, and family members say, yeah, where's Adam? Oh, I think it's important. Why didn't you bring Adam? Oh, he's going to re regret not having attended. 
if you're feeling embarrassed by that and you feel like, well, maybe I should have Adam go just because I don't know what to say to these people, that would not be fair to Adam because you're letting your imagined embarrassment override your respect for his choice and his relationship with grandma, which is the, the central point here. Again, what's most important is his relationship with Grandma. He is choosing to retain the memories as they are. He doesn't want the image or experience of seeing Grandma's dying body or dead body. And I think that's a tribute to his character and possibly to his love of life rather than his worship of death. And I think that's great for him to preserve. Um, I remember when my husband, I had been to funerals when I was younger, not many, but I had been to some. And I remember when my husband's boss, uh, Jack, passed away suddenly from a heart attack, we went to the funeral. And Jack had been a really funny guy. And I remember walking in and seeing Jack, a big guy, pasty and cold looking, unmoving in an open casket. The makeup artists can be, you know, they can be fairly artful, but they cannot cover a cadaver, a dead body. It, the skin tone is off. There's no breathing. And being in a box is unnatural. And I felt that that was a gruesome experience. I thought, you know, we're not celebrating Jack's life, that you're rubbing his death in loved ones' faces. And my first thought was that this is a religion that celebrates not a person's life, but a person's death, or some promise passing into some wished-for hereafter. So that was my gut response. Now, later... I had someone that I, I knew I was close with that died, and I decided not to look at her open casket. I wanted my images to remain pure. But I did view my grandfather's open casket. At that point, I was majoring in biology, and I touched his skin. It was cold, and it was fine in that context to do it. But I had already said my goodbyes to him. He had asked us to tango right before he died, he and my uncle and I, and we did that. I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner. Coming up, we'll be talking about mental overload. If you feel like, oh, my God, I can't handle anymore, I'm Dr. Ellen Kenner on the rational basis of happiness. If you're all alone, pick up the phone. Here's an excerpt from The Selfish Path to Romance, the serious romance guidebook by clinical psychologist Dr. Ellen Kenner. Communicating well about day-to-day -day living preferences and how you'll divide up household responsibilities helps avoid typical tensions and resentments. Communicating well is indispensable for making yourself lovable and making your love relationship work. There are numerous books on the market that give couples practice and communication skills, and most therapists are well-trained to teach these. It's a mistake to think that either you're born with these skills or that you're hopeless. They are learnable skills. Partners can have fun learning them together. Making yourself lovable is an essential and exciting investment in your romantic happiness. You can download Chapter 1 for free by going to drkenner.com and you can buy The Selfish Path to Romance at amazon.com.